Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Let me ask you, is there anybody that enjoys watching any of those uh, HGTV TV shows where uh, they have the people that go into a property that maybe is a little bit dilapidated or maybe it's aged in some way and they have to go in and uh, sometimes they flip a property or sometimes they go in for somebody else and, uh, and they, they completely transform uh, that property and you walk, you, you look at the before and after and you go, wow, I wish somebody would come and do that at my house. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? And as I look at those shows, one of the things that always gets me that I watch, it seems to be a popular thing today, when people go into a home that has a lot of smaller rooms, maybe a smaller kitchen that's separated from the living room or the dining room uh, or something like that, they want an open concept, right? So when they, they start with, with, with this deconstruction, they want to go in and renovate, but they start by deconstructing some things, and so they go in and they begin to do what? They tear out cabinetry, they take down walls, they're looking to open the space up, and if there's a load-bearing wall, they've got to take this big, huge beam, and they've got to lift this beam in place to take the place of that load-bearing wall, that it's going to be able to, to take that, uh, that load and open everything up. How many know that's a messy process, isn't it? Oftentimes, from start to finish, there are times where it looks like, are they going to get anywhere? Because all they keep doing is is destroying and taking things down. Well, I share that today uh, because Jesus is kind of through his Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at, this famous sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he's doing. He's kind of deconstructing some of the ideas of righteousness and what it meant to live righteously and how people thought that you pleased God and, and, and how you followed the law and obeyed the law. And Jesus said, listen, I'm not trying to do away with that, but what I want to do is deconstruct some thought thinking that you had, and, and we're going to put some new things in place that are going to support that are going to support this new laws that are written on your heart, we're going we're gonna to look at a different way in which we as followers of Jesus Christ and citizens of his kingdom, how we ought to live. And so Jesus uses phrases like this, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So you've heard that it was said, uh, you know, we looked at uh, some things over the last few weeks, you've heard that it said, do not commit murder. But I say that anyone who says you fool, Anyone who, who, who begins to, to, to come after somebody with their words has a problem of anger and hatred and murder in their heart. And Jesus said that you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has created adultery in, her, in, in, in his heart. And Jesus looks at all these things from murder to adultery. And last week we talked about promises and vows and oaths and, and we looked at marriage and divorce. And Jesus is kind of deconstructing some things and restructuring some things about righteousness and how we ought to live because he's looking at not just an external obedience to the law, but he wants to get down to the real issue, the root issue of the issues that settle and get stuck in our heart. And so Jesus, again, is in this process of demolishing these old patterns of thinking and replacing them with a better pattern of how we ought to think and how we ought to live. So we're in part six of Salt and Light, 
living today. And uh, we're going to finish up Matthew chapter 5 today. But we call it salt and light living because in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, Jesus told his followers that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In fact, Jesus said that by doing this, we make a difference in the world around us by the way that we live in this countercultural way of following Jesus. And he says this in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And what are they to do? Look at you and go, wow, you're such a good person. That's so good of you. No, that they might glorify your Father who is in heaven. The point is, is that we would live our lives in such a way that others would notice the difference and they would take note and glorify God who is in heaven because of the way in which we live. So today, we're going to look at two illustrations, two final illustrations of the six that Jesus uses as he's kind of talking about what he means about this righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and this kind of righteousness. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, says this, here we begin again, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to those who ask you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What is Jesus talking about? Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. What is this all about? You see, this was a fundamental principle of an Old Testament law, an Old Testament civil law. And it taught that punishment must fit the crime. In fact, the principle was the basis of many ancient laws. Uh, if, you were, if you remember from history class, the Code of Hammurabi. How many remember that, uh, that part? See, this was a pattern written 100 years before the Mosaic Law. And it was a basic legal system today, even for our legal system today. And in Latin, it's called lex talionis. And it's the same idea that's, that we find in a tit for tat or quib pro pro. If you can say that really fast because I didn't do it very good. Quid pro quo. <laughs> the idea is... Is, is that the punishment must fit the crime. And the idea behind this might seem barbaric, but it was really an early attempt to ensure justice and limit revenge. You see, under ta- uh, Lex Talionis, a person who was wrong could seek revenge for the person who had committed that wrong against them. And regardless of the relative status of the two people, Lex Talionis, at least in theory, gave an ordinary person recourse against somebody who might be more wealthy than them or might have a higher status than them. And it was also to limit revenge to the extent of the injury. In other words, if you suffered an injury to your eye, you weren't allowed to go and then kill that person because they maimed your eye. All you could do was go and you could injure their eye. And, uh, and, and it was kind of a way to be able to limit justice. It was a civil process for people who were looking for compensation for their injuries. You see, today, if somebody injures you, you take them to court because you want to receive a certain compensation because of the injury that you had received. Well, in this day and age, this is how they dealt with it in court. If somebody maimed your eye, then you were told you could go and you could maim their eye. They knocked out your tooth. They didn't have hockey back then. You could knock out their tooth. Okay, that was supposed to be funny. That was just, that was like bad dad joke right there. That was just, whoo, that fell flat. I will not use that in second service. No, just kidding. (laughs) The truth is, everyone who has been born has an innate sense of justice. 
there's an innate sense of justice within us. Why? Because we serve a God who is just. And we're made in the image of God. And there's this innate sense of justice in us. The problem is, is oftentimes it's not dialed in right. It's not, it's not in line with God. Many times when we have a sense of justice, we have a tendency not only to want to hurt the other person or get revenge, but we take it that much further because of some things that are within our heart. And we're naturally inclined to retaliation and revenge. You see two little kids that are playing and one of them takes the other one's toy. You can see how that oftentimes plays out. They don't have to be taught those things. The other one will take the toy and sometimes hit the other one with it. And then the other one gets mad and try, you know, I mean, it just becomes this thing. And we see it all the time. I mean, let's be honest. We see it even when we're driving down the road. Have you ever had somebody that is just riding you on your bumper, right? And, and, and they're, just, they're just right on you. What's your tendency? I'm just going to slow down. They pass you, and then what do you do? What do you do? You go up and you say, you're not going to pass me. I'm going to go up and I'm going to get in front of you, and then I'm going to slow down even more. I'm going to make you pay, right? That's why we have things like road rage, right? Our initial reaction is retaliation and revenge, but here's the problem, that our sense of justice and how we naturally retaliate or seek revenge honestly never really helps a situation. Usually, retaliation and revenge only make a situation worse. In fact, more often than not, it elevates and it escalates the conflict, and, and you might be someone who retaliates, and maybe you've done so equally to the point that you got, and even if the other person is willing to admit that, and that's a huge if, if they will admit that they caused you injustice, oftentimes because of the way you've reacted, they perceive to be that greater than the way that, that they reacted towards you, and so then they react again, and we see that this retaliatory attack just continues and escalates and escalates and exhalates. And what started as something silly suddenly turns into something devastating. And it flows out of this sense of justice, retaliation, and revenge. And so that's what we see. That's the, the basis for what Jesus is talking about here because revenge and retaliation, if ever, really solve the conflict. And if ever, they never really bring about peace or, or uh, peace with legitimate enemies. And so Jesus takes steps to help us to, to deconstruct what naturally, uh, in, in our human nature, our sinful nature, the way that we want to respond. And he says, listen, that may be what the nature is, but I'm going to teach you a different way. And this is what he says. Here's how you respond to personal injury or offense. Number one, give up the right to retaliation. That's what he's saying here. Give up your right to retaliation. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Again, what Jesus is saying here is, again, that there is a wrong that has been done. It's a, it's a slapping you across the right cheek. And let me provide some context. Uh, this is not someone who's being physically attacked. This is somebody who, who has received a, a, a slap either with an open hand or a backhanded slap. And in, in this day and age, that was an insult. Somebody was insulting somebody else. This was not a physical attack, I'm going to maim you and hurt you. This was an insult. So what we're talking about here is insult. I, wanna, I want us to understand that. Today, we don't go around and when somebody insults us, we don't open-handedly slap them across the face. But in this culture, that was a way in which you were to say, you know what, I'm insulting you, I'm shaming you in front of everybody else, I'm letting everybody else know that I think that you are just stupid and that you're an idiot, 
and that you don't know what you're talking about, and I'm going to shame you and insult you in front of everybody. And again, in a time in Jesus' day when many of the Jews were being persecuted by the Romans, this was a deeply and insulting thing that somebody could do. Again, this has been taken out of context at times to refer, do not resist an evil person or turn the other cheek to passivity. And that's not what we're talking about in terms of passivity. Jesus often resisted evil. He often did within Scripture. Oftentimes, when he found that there was injustice that was being done or there was somebody that was being treated wrongly and there was evil being done, he would stand up for other people. In fact, the temple is one of those examples. In John chapter 2, Jesus saw buying and selling going on in the temple, and what was happening is the ones who had come to worship that didn't have a lot to begin with were being taken advantage of, and there were obstacles that were being able to keep them from offering sacrifices and worshiping God. And Jesus was very righteously indignant about that and went in and stood up and turned over tables and resisted the evil that was going on, standing up for the injustice. So what we're talking about in resisting evil is not about standing up for injustice or somebody else. In fact, in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus said, when someone is in sin, you ought to confront them. And you do that in a process, one-on-one. -on -one. Then, if they don't respond, two or three witnesses. And then, again, they, if they still do not repent, brought before the church, and if they still cling to their, their sin, then they are to be removed from the congregation. So in order to be obedient to Christ as believers, we must resist evil. There is a time to resist evil, and it's a part of our call to be salt and light in the world. So don't hear what I'm not saying here. Jesus is not telling us to, to, to not resist an evil or not engage in civil justice for someone being mistreated. Rather, what he's talking about here is how we handle personal retaliation. When you are personally being attacked. When you are personally experiencing someone who is shaming you or personal injury to you. Do not respond evil for evil. In other words, if they slap you, don't slap them back. If they insult you, don't insult them back. Willingly take the suffering and give up your right of retaliation, turning the offense over to the Lord. Again, we see this in the way that Jesus lived. This was his pattern in the way that he lived. He, uh, again, even though he got involved in fighting and standing up for the rights of others in the temple to honor God, he resisted and exposed evil, and we're called to do the same thing. Ephesians 5.11 have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But when the Pharisees raised uh, up deceivers to lie about Jesus Christ, and even at his own trial, they brought him to trial, and they, didn't, they were lying about him. They didn't really have anything to say. They wanted him crucified. The Bible says that Jesus Christ said nothing. He did not retaliate. He didn't retaliate. He didn't defend himself. He allowed God to defend him. And Christians must do both, fight for others' rights. And at the same time, there are times when we must be willing to give up our very own right to retaliation. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, 20 and 23, in a time in which the Jewish people were being uh, persecuted and scattered about, this is what Peter wrote. He said, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth, and when they hurled 
insults at him, look at this, he did not retaliate. He gave up his right of retaliation. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is hard for us to do. This does not come natural for us to do. That's why what Jesus is doing is is teaching us a different way by turning over the personal offense or personal injury that we want to retaliate and we want to hang on to and instead turning it over to the Lord and giving up that right of retaliation and enduring suffering. Uh, And and what Jesus is, is telling us here is don't take matters into your own hands. Don't take matters into your own hands. The second part of this is to live open-handed. And it says this in Matthew 5, 40 to 42, if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go two. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Again, more cultural and historical uh, understanding is needed in these verses. The shirt was also known as the tunic, or the, the tunic and the shirt were one. Oftentimes, people own multiple tunics. And when going to court, if somebody did not have money or finances, oftentimes they could be sued for the very shirt off their back. (laughs) Clothing was something that they could be sued and they could be given to compensate for. It wasn't like today where we have Kohl's and JCPenney and all these places where you can go and buy all of these things. In those days, your shirt or or those kind of things meant something to you. And that was the shirt. Many people had many shirts. But the Mosaic Law prevented someone from suing you for your coat. Why? Because the average person had only one coat, and when it would get cold at night, that coat also acted as a blanket to keep them warm. We see this in Exodus chapter 22, starting in verse 26. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So what what we're seeing here is the idea of the coat was something that was an idea of protection, an idea to keep somebody warm. It was something that they needed. And to take their one and only coat was something that even God said, if they cry out before me, I will see the injustice that is done to them. Don't do that. Don't do that. But as valuable as that coat was, Jesus says, if they take your tunic You must be willing to give them that coat as well. Jesus, what are you talking about? You see, Jesus is concerned about the heart. And he's teaching us a principle here, the principle of living open-handed. And when you live open-handed, nobody can take something from you because you're willing to give it to them. That's the idea. You're willing to give it away. It's the same idea with going the extra mile. A a Roman soldier could force a Jew in that day to carry their pack up to a mile. It's something that they could force them to do. They had occupied them, and it didn't matter what rights they had. If the Roman soldier said, you're going to carry my pack, he could only tell you to carry it one mile. But if he tells you to carry it one mile, then you say to him, you know what, let's go two. Why? Because you're removing the control that he thinks he has over you. Isn't that really the problem oftentimes with people who are injuring us or hurting us or, or who, are, who are wanting to borrow or take from us is that oftentimes when they do so, we feel as if they're taking control away. They're trying to control us. They're trying to, and we resist that. And we say, no, I don't want to do that. The problem is that oftentimes what gets lodged in our heart is anger and unforgiveness and offense and hurt feelings. And Jesus says, listen, this is how, this is how you, you overcome that this is how you overcome that live open-handed and if they want to take your tunic you say you know what god bless you here's my coat as well 
I'm going to force you. You're going to go one mile. You say, oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Let's go two. What? Let's go. Wait a minute. I thought I had something over you. Oh, no, no, no. You don't have anything over me as long as I'm willing to live open-handed and go above and beyond. That's hard for us to live, yet it's the very thing. Now, let me just say this. This does not mean a free ride for anybody who is, again, regularly treading upon your boundaries. What I mean by that is that uh, that there are people, again, uh, who want us to be doormats. And there are times where we do have to set boundaries. This is not about setting boundaries. This is, again, sometimes we have to exercise tough love. Sometimes there are folks that like to take advantage, and with it within our power, the most loving thing that we can do is to say no. The most loving thing that we can do is to put up boundaries and to not, not compensate and allow someone to do some things that are continuing them to be in a place of harm. Times you have to have boundaries. But there are other times where there are people, somebody that you work with, a boss, that just continues and you think you're treated unfairly at work and they, you have a coworker, and they don't seem to get as much work and your boss just seems to heap work on you, what do you do in those cases when you don't have the control? You have to adjust your heart. You have to adjust your heart. And the Bible talks about that here in terms of willing to not let retaliation get into our heart but entrust it over to the Lord and say, here you go. Let's go to, you know what, I'll do that, and I'll do even more. I'll do it to the best of my ability because I, you, you're not going to hold that over me because I'm going to turn my heart and the honor and love over to Jesus. From here, Jesus transitions to the theme of, from retaliation to loving our enemies because obviously when these kinds of things come at us, we begin to say, this person's an enemy. I don't like this person very much. And Jesus says, let me, let me talk a little bit about that for a moment. So again, the deconstruction, reconstruction, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only those your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Again, very counterintuitive stuff here. Our nature is to love those who love us and to hate those who hate us and get other people who hate those same people and team up with them. And we're just going to get in our own lovey, 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 and I'm loving what you love and you love what I love and we're just going to be a happy family. But if you don't like what I love and you hate me, then I'm going to get other people that hate you too and we're all going to hate on each other. Come on, this is the world in which we live in right now, folks. I mean, just take a look around. If somebody doesn't agree with you, then you hate them and you get other people to hate them and you team up with the people you agree with and the people you don't agree with. Well, ah, there's, mm, I won't even say what they are. Oh, but to fully understand, the question is this, who is my neighbor, right? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but who is your neighbor? You see, in another passage of Scripture, Jesus was talking about what is the greatest commandment. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this was a hotly debated topic, who is my neighbor? And that was the question that was asked, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And what did Jesus do? We all know that Jesus told a very famous story that we know of called the Good Samaritan. (laughs) How many know that story? 
There was, a, there was a man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he had been beat up by robbers and, and, uh, and left on the side of the road to die, beaten and stripped. And, and, uh, and who walks by? A priest walks by. A Jewish priest walks by. A Jewish Levite walks by. You'd think they would help the man out, but they don't. They go on the other side of the road. And who helps him out? The Samaritan. Bandages up his wounds. And Jesus finishes that by saying, who was a neighbor to the man? the one who had mercy. Jesus uses a very despised Samaritan to make a point to say that it's not just who is in your tribe. It's not just who that you agree with that you have that you are supposed to love, to love your neighbor as yourself. But it's those that are different than you. It's those that disagree with you. It's those that you want to hate that Jesus says, no, 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 as my principle, you are to love your neighbor. You are to Pray for those who persecute you. You're to love your enemies. You see, Jesus is, a, is, is addressing a human inclination here to, to love only those we like that have the same opinions that we agree with. To love somebody else is not to necessarily agree with what they believe. Can we separate that for a moment? It's not to just approve of what they believe. There were lots of people that Jesus loved that he didn't necessarily agree with what they believed. Oftentimes he would say to them, go and sin no more. He would look at them with eyes of compassion and he would love them and he would say, go and sin no more. You can love people without approving of what they do or agreeing with what they believe. And I think that is something that we miss so many times today. Love your enemy is not natural. We have to be intentional with our love. The rest of the world lives with a transactional love. That is a scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Jesus calls us to live with a sacrificial love. And in that way, children of your Father who is in heaven. We take on the characteristic and the nature of our Father in heaven who demonstrated love towards us in this, that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, what Jesus calls us to is a sacrificial love, not a transactional love, and that is the salt and the light that our world needs. Our world needs believers who are going to model their heavenly Father by demonstrating love to those that they consider to be their enemies. To demonstrate love and mercy. C.S. Lewis wrote this, the worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. We're called to love our enemy. So how do we do that? We're given some keys here. Number one, pray. Pray for those who persecute you. How many know prayer is powerful? Do you know prayer is one of the deepest forms of love? So you don't approve of what someone's doing. You don't agree. You know what the Bible says to do? It says go on Facebook and just tweet all of this stuff out and post all this stuff you don't like about them and all these articles about how you hate them and how stupid they are and how you don't like them, right? No, that's not what it says. It says you pray for them. If we prayed as much as we talked about the things we don't like about people or we don't like about the other side, the other party, the other this, the other, if we prayed as much as we talked about it, I believe the world would be changed. What, what is it about prayer? 
What is it about prayer? Prayer transforms our heart. Prayer transforms our heart. Why? Because the issue is our heart. We don't want to allow offense. We don't want to allow anger. We don't want to allow hurt to get lodged in our heart. That the fruit of our lives, that is the roots of our, that are digged down deep in our heart will produce fruit. And we don't want fruits of bitterness coming out of our mouth. We don't want fruits of bitterness coming out of our lives and out of our actions. We want love. And so how do you unlodge that bitterness and that hurt and that anger and that offense? How do you unlodge that? You pray. You pray, because as you pray, it might not necessarily be that you feel it, but when you begin to obey and you do what God is calling you to do, feelings will follow your obedience. And if you're willing to obediently pray for your enemies, you will find the Lord doing a work in your heart towards the other person. What do you pray for? Pray for their conversion if they don't know the Lord. Pray for repentance. That they'd be wakened to the pain that they're causing. Pray for the Lord not to hold their sins against them. Again, Jesus is our example. As he hung on the cross in Luke 23, 24, he said this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you know that, that our world that doesn't know Christ today has been blinded by the enemy? They've been blinded. They, in fact, many times they, they don't realize the damage that is being done spiritually because their eyes are blinded. You can get all of, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand? Listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there's no fear of the Lord, so what do we have to begin with? Lord, I pray for them. God, don't hold their sins against them. Father, open up the hearts. Open up the eyes of those that do not believe that they would see their need of you, that you would get a hold and transform their heart. I mean, Stephen did this. He was being stoned, and as he's being stoned, he's falling on his knees. He cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. Is this our heart right now? In a divided world, is this the heart of believers? Is the heart of believers that we want to be right, or is the heart of believers that we want to see lives transformed? Why? What is in our heart? Practically, number two, practically meet their physical needs. He causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And in the practical sense, we're talking about physical needs. Sunshine and rain are two things that are needed in order for things to grow. Sunshine and rain are also the equivalent of when we have good days and blessings and when trials and storms come into our life. And what does Jesus use here to illustrate? He says that as believers, we need to find ways to serve those that are in need. When the rains come, the righteous and the unrighteous, what do we do to practically meet their needs? Romans 12, 20, if your enemy is hungry, what does it say? Feed him. If he is thirsty... This is your enemy, by the way. Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you get the, the evil out of your own heart? You overcome evil by good. You overcome evil by serving. You overcome evil by serving who? The people that you like? No, your enemies. Jesus is most concerned about the heart and he understands that if somebody slaps us in the face, if somebody takes advantage of us or treats us poorly, how do we keep our hearts from going hard? We serve our enemies. And in this way, we reflect our Heavenly Father, again, who demonstrated his own love to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, enemies of God. 
living as salt and light is difficult. And it's certainly not something that comes naturally to us. So let me just close with a, a final story, a final little illustration and just some practical tips. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as I do this. You see, the, challenging was, with the challenge was very overwhelming, and the goal had never been achieved at this point. Yet on the morning of May 29, 1953, Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa guide Tenzing Norgay began their final assault to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Later that day, with the oxygen tanks running low, the two climbers stood together on the 29,028-foot summit. And although extremely difficult, they reached their objective with small steps. Small steps. So what are some small steps that we can take to loving our enemies? Let me just give you just some practical things as we close today. Number one, don't live in your hurt. Don't live in your hurts. People sometimes repeatedly hurt us. Banking those hurts makes it harder to forgive. Matthew 18, 21. Peter was living in his hurt, and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? That was Jesus' reply. What Jesus is saying is you've got to deal with the hurt. Don't bank your hurts. Don't live with your hurts. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't bank that in your heart. Don't live with your heart. Even if the offender fails to recognize and apologize, begin to pray and don't bank the hurt. Second, don't re repl uh, do not reply in anger. Don't reply in anger. Don't reply to that text. Don't reply to that post. Don't reply to that tweet. Don't reply to that whatever communication form you use with anger. Proverbs 15.1 gives us great advice. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, when we escalate with piercing words, when we escalate and we strike back, we don't reflect our Heavenly Father. But when we respond with gentleness and we respond with gentle words, we find it hard uh, for someone to be hostile. Because hostility insists on its own way. And when we're being nice, it's really hard for somebody to respond that way. They might get angry just because we're being so nice. <laughs> I'd rather that. Thirdly, pray for those who hurt you. Again, pray for those who persecute you. Again, you find it hard to hate someone you're praying for. And then finally, turn your enemy into a friend. Proverbs 16, 7, Solomon writes this advice for us. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example of that. In turning enemies into friends, we look at the life of Abraham Lincoln. And when the Civil War had ended, there was a group of Southerners who were very angry, who got an audience with President Lincoln. And they were airing their complaints, and he responded in a very gentle and friendly manner. And when he did so, he thawed their icy hostility that had, had, they had, and they left with a new respect for him. And when a northern congressman insisted that Lincoln must destroy them and not befriend his enemies, Lincoln smiled, and this was his reply. He said this, am I not destroying my enemies by making them my friends? Oh, how often the tools and the methods we use don't get us the desired goal or outcome that we want. Jesus says, I know the way. I know the way. And it's not eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's not retaliation, and it's not revenge. It's loving your enemies, and it's praying for those who persecute you. It's beginning to allow the way that I want you to love, and the way that I want you to respond. Uh, this is how you live, and when you do that, you will literally take the weapons. You will disarm the enemy. 
you will disarm your enemy and you will see me work in ways that, that I could not work before. Let's pray. Friends, today, let me ask you, how is your heart? Is there anger inside your heart? Do you seek revenge, retaliation? Is there offense that you have lodged in your heart? How do you treat those that are your enemies? Do you find yourself struggling with anger, struggling to, to not want to, to lash out? And perhaps Jesus today is saying, I want to do a work in your heart. I want to do a work of healing in your life. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know what, first of all, I've been an enemy of God and I need to commit my life to Jesus Christ today. If that's you today, whether watching online or in this room, you say, you know what, I don't want to be an enemy of God any longer. I want to surrender my life to Christ. If that's you, will you just slip up your hand today? I want to lead you in a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Secondly, today, if you're here and maybe you're struggling you're struggling with anger. You're struggling with someone who has just uh, made your life difficult or has hurt you. You're struggling with wanting to retaliate, wanting to, to lash back. And today you say, I need the Lord to heal some things inside of my heart. If that's you today, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for healing for you. There's some things in my heart that need healed today. Some things that need healed today. Some wounds, some hurt. Yeah. Father, we just surrender our lives to you today. We are yours. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those, Lord, that persecute us. We pray, Father, that, uh, that, Lord, you would just help us to keep our hearts pure and that we would respond as you desire for us to respond. That, Father, you would teach us how to go the extra mile. You'd teach us how to practically serve and see that uh, those that we consider to be enemies, maybe there's a need that we can meet. Maybe there's kindness that we can show. Maybe there's mercy that we can give. Father, help us to respond lovingly and heal the hurt and the pain that is in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is freeing to us and that is life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.